You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are an Indian living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Hasan Ali, a long-term IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories, the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. Today's guest is a very interesting young woman who has won several awards in last few years. Forbes 30 under 30, CNN 40 under 40 and Business Woman of the Year by India Australia Business Community Award this year. Her parents moved to Australia from India when she was 1 year old. She studied law and worked as a lawyer, but that's not what she's known for today. She is famous as the Chai Wali in Australia. That's right. She is running a thriving tea business today. Not only that, she is an engaging public speaker and talks about startup and marketing. She is a woman activist. She plays soccer. She is a dancer. She is truly a trendsetter and change maker. She lives with the mindset of limitless possibilities. I want to know from her what made her to become the Chai Wali. How did she manage her early days of entrepreneurship while still practicing law? I want to know how she manages various aspects of building a small business, inventory to marketing, warehouse, delivery, systems, staff, financials. I also want to know what drives her in business today. So let's talk to Upama Vardi, the Chai Wali herself, to get the answers, get some inspirations and some real learnings from her entrepreneurial journey. Hi Upma. Hi Asan. Welcome to the Empowering Indian Experts podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. I'm really excited to know from you how a lawyer has become a famous tea brand in Australia today. Keen to get into your story, Upma. Thank you. Uh, to start with, I want to know what is really exciting about your business as of today. Oh my gosh, there's so many exciting things, and I think the beauty of running a small business is that you have the ability to create. and do really exciting things. So for me things are always changing in business and I currently am working on a very sustainable business model in terms of creating eco-friendly products and sustainability with a big focus on environment and also on healthy and positive leadership to my team. interesting let's get started from uh, where or it all started so you moved to australia when you were 1 year old yes i um, didn't come by myself obviously my mom and my brother yeah. helped <laughs> and uh, any memories of early days where you can say that has really shaped up the way i am today if i look back i think that growing up in australia was very unique and different to how other people would have grown up in Australia. And so early memories for me are of mum cooking big feasts and us having dinner together or the way she celebrates Diwali or Holi or Rakhri or different things. So the most deepest memories for me are about family and feasting and coming together and discussing and sharing cha with my family. Those are the biggest memories for me that were true then and are still true now. All right. So I can see the connection to what you do today. And what made you decide uh, to become a lawyer? How did you go about choosing your career? I think similar to most other Asian um, families growing up, we only grew up with two choices: so doctor or lawyer. So I didn't really have much of a choice around that. And being a lawyer was something I just put on my application, and it was something that I. didn't know what it was like going to be like when I actually worked as a lawyer because as a student you don't know practically what it is going to be like when you actually do it so there were a lot of different elements and you worked as a lawyer for four years for four years and what's the best thing that kind of becomes your memory in your law career oh so i remember most of the experiences i had and particularly 
the first experience, which is really difficult. It's so difficult to land your first job when you become a graduate lawyer. So even though I had about four or five years of experience working in a law firm as a paralegal or a legal assistant. While you were studying. Yeah, while I was studying, I did that. And I still found it immensely difficult to land my first job as a lawyer, as a graduate lawyer. It took me about um, six months to one year of going through different law firms, contacting a lot of different HR people. And I did find back in those days, there was a bias around diversity in the legal industry. Um, And I did find that there were a lot of um, areas of law where I was probably the only person of color there, or I was the only person that had a really unique name that a lot of people couldn't pronounce. Those early on, it really tainted my view of what it was going to be like working in the legal industry. But when I did finally find an amazing place, I I started working for a place called Clearpoint Council. They were a small business and it was four or five people, all from different backgrounds, mostly women, very good values. I knew that was the place for me. I knew that I really resonated with everyone. So my memories from then onwards um, were very positive, were very nurturing. I grew my legal portfolio in employment law, intellectual property and corporate law. And I, I loved being a lawyer. I loved my clients and I loved the new age and fintech clients that I was working with. Interesting. Was that uh, some way connected to what you're doing today because you were working with the startups and you were seeing their way of doing things? I was I was doing Chaiwali while I was doing that as well. So Chaiwali was just a very small, very um, humble beginnings where it was just for fun. It was just fun and play and games. And it's still it is still like that now. But back then it was very um, smaller scale. And I was doing it alongside uh, working as a lawyer at Clearpoint, but what I found was um, Clearpoint was very innovative and very tech and very um, cloud-based and paperless. And I worked with some really fast growing clients and that's something that I loved. And I loved innovation and I loved tech and I love IT, but I also love the application of that in a legal way as well. So it definitely shaped a lot yeah. of how we operate in my business today. And that is kudos to my ex-manager there as well about setting up a cloud-based business. So I've used a lot of those fundamental values in my business today as well. That's wonderful. So let's go back to your uh, Australia trip where you went for exchange program, because it looks like that's where it all started. Yeah, and uh, I find it really interesting because I was talking to a professor recently and they were doing a study into um, Indian female founders and they were looking into why most Indian female founders of businesses either have a male co-founder or it's a family business that they've been given or handed down. They don't go out on their own. And they found that most of the female founders like me who run a business by themselves have done a study abroad or they've, or they've studied overseas in some kind of capacity. That's and so I tie that back to my experience and growing up in a beautiful Indian family and rich culture, a little bit conservative. Uh, I think that um, going overseas allowed me to explore myself in a different way, separate to my family. It gave me confidence. It gave me um, an ability I didn't have before. So my study abroad was fundamental to who I am today. And I recommend, I, obviously we can't do it now, but I recommend having those experiences in any way possible to shape who we are as individuals. Definitely. When did the business idea come? So you come back from Australia and then um, you start to look for a job. So I came back and I was still studying. Um, I was finishing off my law and like my LLB and my BCom at Deakin. And then I did a postgraduate diploma in legal practice to become a lawyer. And alongside that, I also started Chaiwali. But the idea of Chaiwali began actually with Daniel, my now husband, who I met in Austria while studying there. I didn't, I didn't know him in Australia. He was from Sydney. So he was doing exchange there as well. And I think uh, it was, I don't even remember, 2013 or maybe 2014. He, his mum asked him if his uh, girlfriend knew how to make chai or how to make a chai blend. 
And I said, come on, do I know how to make chai? Like, <laughs> I, of course I know who to make chai. So I actually um, made, I used one of my grandfather's blends and I recreated it into my own blend. And I put it into a little plastic bag, like a little Ziploc bag. Um, and I uh, created a sticker and on the sticker I wrote chai wali. And I didn't know what was going, I just wrote chai wali because I called myself a chai wali. Like I made chai everywhere I went, I would make chai. Like in someone's house, I would just, if I came over to your house, Esan, I would just open the kitchen and make myself a pot of masala cha. <laughs> so I, I just said, chai wali made by Ukma, love, love Ukma. And I uh, put the masala in there and I sent it to her. And then she loved it and she wanted more. And I thought, oh my gosh, let me make some more. And I started making some more and I thought, oh my gosh, why don't I sell this at the market and see what happens? So I started selling it at the market and I'm like, oh, I've sold out. What do when I you do s- When you say market, it's the weekend market. Yeah, like a farmer's market. Farmer's market. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was a complete accident. It was not um, at all a business plan or an idea or it wasn't anything, a light bulb moment. It was simply me exploring my cultural heritage as a first generation migrant in Australia. So when you started to put up the uh, stall in market, how did you go about it? You created various blends and then you put it up there. I stuck and- with the same blend, my Dadaji blend. So I stuck with his his original blend and I would just package it in a unique way. I would use PowerPoint because I don't, I don't know how to use InDesign and all that stuff. I use a PowerPoint to create a, a little logo. My my um, Daniel, my then boyfriend helped me with that. And we just did that. And then my parents would come to the markets and they would sit there drinking all my cha. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first uh, time you put up in market? Do you yes, remember? Yes, I do. Experience? Yeah, yeah, of course. How was I that? remember it was scary. It was, it was super scary. And I didn't know, I felt so, I guess, judged in a way because this is something I've never done before and I loved it and I just wanted everyone else to love it as well but there back then there was a complete lack of education around masala cha so no one knew what authentic masala cha should taste like so a lot of people would come they would drink it they liked it or they didn't like it and I would take it personally if people didn't like it like it would <laughs> hurt me so much I would it, it would really upset me but I think that taught me a lot of resilience now because there's always going to be people that are going to say no or reject what you have yeah it's so difficult to separate ourselves from the business uh, uh, benefit or activities or how people per- uh, perceive it uh, versus whether it's direct reflection of me. So uh, I exactly understand where you're coming from. So you were uh, selling the blend and you also made tea and sold the cups as well. Well, I would sell it if my dad didn't drink it all. So <laughs> because even though my parents were completely against me running my a business, they would still come and support me. So they were completely against me doing it because I was a lawyer. What what business did I have running a child business, right? So even though I had no um, business support from them, they still came and stood there and drank all my cha. And what made you to do the second time and the third time? Were you do it, doing it weekly or? Yeah, fortnightly? weekly, fortnightly. I just, whenever I was able to, and I just thought, why not? why not explore another aspect of my creativity? Why not create something that I'm able to create? And once I started creating things, I realized I have an ability to create more. I have the ability to do this. And I think everyone does have the ability to create things of their own, but it requires work and it requires resilience. And for me, Initially, it, it all felt seamless and it all felt easy. It all felt like it wasn't effortful. It was effortless. So how long you kept showing up in the market, the um, weekend farmer's market? 
So I was doing the week, the farmers markets, and then I kept reinvesting like any money. And now I know I can see what I was doing, but back then I didn't know what reinvesting and all that stuff meant. I was just like, woo, you know, I made five hundred dollars. Let's go buy more spices, or I made a thousand dollars. Let's buy some more spices and masala blends and whatnot. So I was really excited to do that, and I would. Uh, go back to the markets. I started building a website, just like a one-page website with one product or two products on it. And I was so excited to get my first order. And then I didn't have any order for like one month. <laughs> so when somebody bought it online, uh, was it uh, somebody already knew you or? It was... No, it was someone random. And I don't know whether it was a fake order or not because I never got an order after like one or two <laughs> months ever again. <laughs> it was just so sad. <laughs> So what was the next stage of growth? So you started. I yeah, I started to do online, and then I don't even know how I got into this. I started getting into wholesale, so I got into talking to a local organic shop into in my home in Melbourne, and I was like, look, I have this product I'm making. I'm giving it to my friends and family. Some my people at work are buying it. Do you want to? buy any for your store and she was like yeah yeah I'd love I'd love some give me 24 packets and I was like oh my gosh I'm going to become a millionaire <laughs> <laughs> like I remember that moment and then I you know I made these bags I got these beautiful stickers my crushing the spices and packing them and then I went with a big box and I delivered them and I was so excited and then she was like where's the invoice and I was like, what do you mean? Give me the money. Like, what do you mean invoice? And she's like, if you deliver goods to me, you have to give me an invoice. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I wrote up an invoice. I created it on a Word document. I created a, like a, put my logo in there and everything and your invoice number one. <laughs> and then I dropped it off. So it was, it was, I still remember that feeling because it was my first wholesale order and I have come, we've come such a long, such a long way. We have like, now we have inventory systems and all these crazy apps at Chaiwali now that it just makes that moment feel so surreal and long ago. Right. So when you sold the first uh, wholesale uh, to a shop, did you still, uh, even then you had the Chaiwali logo ready? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I had um, talked to a friend of mine who helped create a small um, logo and brand kind of guideline in terms of how our packaging should look, really something easy and simple that would work so I could start um, selling it in some way. So did this uh, shopkeeper become an uh, ongoing customer? Yes, they did. They were one of our top, uh, on, top clients for many years. And then what happens the next? They, I think they had to close down recently because of COVID. Yeah. Right. And how did your uh, online progress from there so on? So online progressed um, slowly and online is a really hard platform. It's, it takes a very long time and a lot of work to build an online uh, e-commerce platform. And I think that it's only the last one or two years that our e-commerce site has been doing really well. So did you start to do uh, Instagram early on and you started... yeah I was doing social media from the day one and I wasn't doing one. Instagram I wasn't doing Instagram for products I was doing Instagram for sharing stories over chai so staring sharing family stories sharing education about spices and it was just a way to educate people uh, but then it became I guess a platform where I could drive people to e-commerce or b2b right right so let's go back to early 2020 which is last year so just before covid how does your business look like just before covid um it looked like it does today but probably not as uh, <laughs> not as busier as we are today so it we we have up and running um, warehouse we have i'm i'm obviously full-time in the business. I've been full-time in the business for the last three years, three, four years. And um, we've got a, a small team pre-COVID and there's about three of us in the team. There's now four of us and there's wholesale channel, online channel, catering. Catering as, well. catering as well. Yeah, we do catering and then workshops as well. 
Fantastic. So in Melbourne as well, you had a warehouse before you moved to Sydney. No, oh, before I moved to Sydney, but I moved everything to Sydney. Right, right. Okay. And even before COVID, I missed to ask this. Uh, three years into it, uh, you decided to quit your uh, corporate career. Uh, how was that? Uh, not an easy decision. No, it was really scary, especially because I was probably at the peak of my legal career as well. And I was probably at a stage where I um, I would really progress well if I stayed as a lawyer too. So I there was two decisions to make. One was, do I grow uh, my legal career or do I go into my business full time and grow it? It's really difficult to grow both in tandem unless you have no life. I didn't have a life for about three years. So I sacrificed that. I sacrificed Netflix, Game of Thrones, um, sacrificed everything. I, I, I still haven't watched Game of Thrones. So. <laughs> What was the what was the deciding factor for you when you made a decision to come full on in the business? The deciding factor was why not? Again, it was what have I got to lose? I can go back if I need to, being a lawyer. But what have I got to lose um, in doing this? I I only have things to gain and experiences to gain. I only have things to learn and grow and achieve. So why not? What a, it, it's a no-brainer. Was there any financial consideration as well? I, I guess there was. And there was an element of Chaiwali would only grow more if I gave it the full-time love it required. So there is a, there was a period of time where I had to make that decision of... <laughs> being very poor so so that I could uh, be full-time in the business so I could grow it properly and I think that because my business didn't have capital in capital investor angel investors all that stuff you know it it was very organic so it didn't have that momentum from day one it required the momentum for me to put in it so there was that aspect of do I stay being a lawyer and have some stable income or do I spend that time and look at the long-term benefits of me doing it full-time? So first one month into full-time, how did it feel? Oh, it was scary. I was looking for <laughs> lawyer jobs again. Like I remember the first six months I was second guessing myself. Like I can't do this. Like I, I was scary. Like I can't do this. I can't, I can't run a big warehouse and have a full team. And this is scary. Uh, and I, I had imposter syndrome and I was scared and I, definitely didn't believe in myself for the first six months but it took time and to build that and I think everyone goes through a process of transitioning and I knew I had it in me I knew I I knew that and I know that today but we all go through those uh, mental hurdles of questioning ourselves as well. So did you have any support system around you where you could uh, share your emotions and ask questions and validate from people who are yeah, already successful I, in at business. that stage i had married daniel so daniel and i had gotten married after a very long um <laughs> long distance um thing that we had going on and finally mom and dad also came on board with the business and also um the, my decisions as well so it was great so i had the beautiful support of daniel and he honestly has been fundamental to allowing not allowing I don't know how to put this the right way let me just rephrase that letting you explore yeah I think that um, having a supportive partner who ultimately believes in equality Mm. is fundamental to any relationship and I'm so grateful that I'm in a relationship where we both believe in complete equality in all aspects and we will push and challenge each other towards what brings us joy and happiness and sustainability. Very nice. So Daniel continues to be a lawyer, isn't it? He does continue to be a lawyer. And who wants two lawyers in a marriage, right? Like, can you you imagine the arguments? (laughs) I, I I already don't let him win any arguments. And imagine if I was in, I was still a lawyer. So it's uh, 
Pre-COVID, let me go back there. So in early days, uh, where were you buying from? So I was, um, when I first, first started Chaiwali, it was just locally where I could source things from until I reached a stage where I could go wholesale and then until I could reach a stage where I could go to India. So now we work with some really amazing small businesses in India to import very good quality teas. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Uti, Darjeeling, uh, Dharamsala. Like I have partnerships with different different tea farms in India. So did you travel early days before COVID uh, to set up these relationships? Some of them I did. Some of them I didn't. Some of them it was, I found them and we spoke in Zoom and whatnot. And, oh, sorry. Back then it would have been WhatsApp call or something, not Zoom. <laughs> But <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of searching because I'm very, very fussy with who we work with. I'm very particular with the relationships we have with our suppliers in all elements. So from that goes from a small collaboration locally to a big tea supplier. We, we make sure that the integrity of the relationship is spot on. We make sure there's transparency. We make sure we know where things are going. So even though I don't run a not-for-profit, even though it's not um, a social enterprise, we consider ourselves a socially conscious business because we take a lot of importance into how we get our supplies and how we make them and how we produce and how we make every decision. It's with so authenticity. A, yeah. So you have a set of questions that you We have you pillars, questions, feelings, emotions, everything. <laughs> like we go through so many things. Every decision we make, it has to first feel right for us before we do it. Makes yeah. sense. Do you have any um, challenge in getting the products from India? Because I'm guessing it's come on the ship or it comes by flight. How does it come? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Sometimes it's by ship. Sometimes it's by a plane. Depends on what it is and where it's coming from. I don't really have... Recently, I haven't had any issues. But initially, I did have a lot of issues because... it may not have reached a minimum quantity to go on to a pallet via sea freight. So that was really difficult and really, really expensive. Um, but now, obviously, as we've grown, we've been able to reach those minimum quantities. But that was something that I wish there was a bit more support for. I wish that there were people that I could contact in Australia that were importing and that I could be like, hey, do you have space in your right. shipment? for me, can I send this stuff to your port in Mumbai? Or like, I wish I had that support. But when I contacted people, I found that they weren't as willing to help me. And that was very painful as well, because <laughs> I come from a very collaborative and open background. I've come from a very support each other background. So I think it's important to support each other in business wherever we can. Definitely. So I understand a little bit of challenge in early days when you don't have enough quantity that you are importing. And how about uh, marketing? So in early days, it was not really proactive marketing. You did put up Instagram, you were running workshops, uh, you had the uh, stalls in market. Uh, how did you evolve into proper marketing? I have always just been really good at marketing. It just comes to me naturally. Even though I didn't study marketing, I've been able to be a very good marketer in all aspects from online marketing to face-to-face -face marketing to on the ground to in all aspects. And that goes to, because of the values I've created in Chaiwali. I'm able to market it really well. And I think our marketing has... a very strong following and a very loyal following and a very particular voice. And I think for me, uh, it was very important to maintain that voice and grow it as our audience grew as well. So would it be okay if I ask you to elaborate it? You say you're pretty good at marketing, be it online, be it offline. Hmm. I don't know how to put, there's no formula I use. I know, so you're basically <laughs> I, dissecting your mind right now. Like, oh, I don't, okay. it's, you have to have a very unique value proposition. If you're selling glasses, why, why are you selling glasses? It always goes to the why, why are you doing it? If you don't have a why, you don't have a marketing guide at all. You need to have a why. So that's very important. Your why 
your who, I don't really think that's important. They always teach you in marketing to make a picture or drawing of who you're marketing it to, write a name, give them clothes, give them a job, give them money. I don't think that's important. I think that's all BS, to be honest. Um, So for me, it's, you need to believe in it. It needs to sit right with you. You need to be able to want to buy it if you see it. And your your why is the fundamental aspect of your marketing or your business, full stop. Got it. So how do you articulate your Chaiwali's why? I understand, you know, you talk about community, you talk about culture, you talk about, uh, uh, of course, the organic stuffs and things like that. So what's what's that one why which kind of resonates with most people? For us, it is fundamentally to do with the human connection. That's our why. Chai connects you, connects me, connects us, connects me to me, connects me to you. It's internal, it's extroverted, it's introverted. There's so much to chai that can't just be explained in a, in a, in a, in a small sentence. And the, the why fundamentally comes down to um, we have something that is so close to our hearts that I want other people to experience this connection and this authentic, this authentic product that has stemmed down so many generations in our culture. And I want to share in the most authentic and with the most integrity. Perfect. Any operational or technical side of marketing uh, that has helped? Or if you look back, you say, I would have done this thing better. So when I say technical or operational side of it, meaning, um, you know, creating right kind of uh, um, social media presence or um, doing maybe a CEO, maybe advertisement or uh, ad, ad on Facebook and things like that. Any of those things you had to do? Well, everything we've done has been good so far. So I wouldn't really change anything that we have done. And anything that we've done that probably didn't work well is good because now I can see what didn't work well. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't change anything that we've done because everything I have had done is for a purpose and helps us to create more marketing in the future. But in terms of any ads and whatnot, I actually have not done many ads. A lot of the uh, content, content and um, contributions and community we've created has genuinely been genuine. So I looked at your uh, uh, Instagram page and I've really liked uh, the uh, warehouse pictures and videos that you create. Somebody doing Tai Chi or you're making chai and uh, sometimes you're like climbing up the boxes on top of the roof and all of those things. That, That definitely creates that connectedness. How about the offline uh, thing that you said you did the community workshop? What did, what did you exactly do? So offline, I mean, what we do in terms of connecting with people on the ground. And that can be through workshops, that can be through community events, that can be through trade expos and shows and markets and whatnot. So for me, as we grow, I've always had a very big yearning to do something that's voluntary, pro bono, something that gives back to the community as well. So I've always, between Chaiwali, maintained some aspect of my work to be for pro bono, be that. Um, recently, I was a board member for a not-for-profit food company, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I helped them as a volunteer, voluntary um, board member, help them with their marketing strategy, help them with their legals, with their business strategy. And I think my skills now have really developed into being a marketing guru, like a really good marketing strategy, um, creating structure, leadership, innovation, and people skills. So there are some really good skills in there that I can give back and, and share and help other small businesses with. But one thing that I do like to do with Chaiwali in giving back is hosting events that are for the community. So we call these chai check-ins or the cycle of chai and we bring people together either on Zoom or face-to-face and they, we have conversations over chai. We have conversations about empowerment, about diversity, about equality, about kindness, about different topics that I am passionate about personally that I think we need to be speaking about. Interesting. So what I understood is it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, giving back is definitely a part of it. 
I mean, you may not do it as marketing, but uh, you do it from heart. But that also definitely helps. Oh yeah, and look, there is a definite distinguished factor of are you just selling something and saying that you're donating ten percent of what you do to a certain charity? What are you actually doing? Where is it actually going? And are you just doing it for marketing, or are you doing this because you want to do it as well? And for us, we could we need to be a sustainable business. We need to also pay the ATO and pay the staff and pay our rent. So we have to um, maintain a sustainable business model so I can operate and be here talking to you today as well. So that that, that can actually eventuate. However, at the same time, for us, the social aspect, the conscious aspect of giving back comes down to our suppliers and how we work with them. It comes down to where our money goes. So if you buy from us and we buy from an ethical tea business, for us, that in itself is us giving back and supporting a transparent and socially conscious business model. And that messaging you do through your website, through your social media handles and through yeah. these workshops as well. Yeah. Fantastic. So in terms of uh, managing finances and especially uh, when it starts to grow as a business, in the beginning, I remember you talked about when you get $500, it feels so good. And then $1,000, you kept reinvesting. Now you have a full-fledged business. You have overseas suppliers. You have a warehouse. You have four people who work with you. Um, any Anything that you want to highlight in terms of your learnings or challenges in managing finances? It's very expensive running a business. It's not as glamorous and it's not as easy and it's not as cheap as you think it is. When you buy a bag of chai from me, your first reaction will probably be, I could make this at home. Right. <laughs> it could be, I could make this at home. I could put it in this bag and I could sell it and I could be successful. Right. It's not as easy as that. You have to break it down. <laughs> yes. Let's break it down. Yeah. Okay, so... We have the ATO who takes yeah. about 25% of anything you make. It's yeah. a company tax rate. Yeah. You have rent. That's probably your highest cost. Yeah. Then you have employee cost. That's probably your second highest cost. Then you have ASIC fees. You have electricity. You have outgoings. You have ABN, ABR fees. You have all these fees <laughs> that as you grow, the fees and expenses will definitely grow. You have IP Australia fees. You have ongoing fees, insurance, workers' compensation, superannuation. If I haven't scared you yet, <laughs> just... No, I'm aware of these things. I really wanted to hear from you. And it's, you know, while you're um, talk, talking, so, laughing about it, it's, uh, these are the things that... These are the reality of it. And yeah. at the end of the day, you look at that and you look at the cost of ingredients. You look at the cost of everything. In a world with COVID at the moment, everything is increasing in price, especially for us. Uh, it, we look towards getting very natural, very good quality ingredients, which comes with a cost as well. Cardamom had a 300% increase in price in the last two years. That 300%. Yes. And all of that costs a lot of money. So although someone might buy something from our business, they probably don't know the back end of what's happening. There is a lot of ongoing costs to sustain a small business or any business for that matter. And you need to be prepared to understand that. It might be fun and dandy at the beginning, but as you grow, you're going to realize that every regulatory body is going to want a piece of your pie as you grow bigger. So did it uh, scare you at any point in time? You said, oh my God, did you start looking at your law career back? Did it happen? Because it's a lot I have of... to, well, I have to do legal things all the time currently. In your business. I currently have to do all the legal stuff. So, which is really fun that I, <laughs> if you want to call it fun. So I have to do that all the time, but I don't think I ever looked back and I don't think I ever got scared. I think because for me, I love a challenge. I like to be given a challenge and I like to grow and I love problem solving. So for me, it, it, it hasn't ever been looking back. It's been, Good. it's been always being creative with it and being innovative with it. Very nice. So you talked about the supply, you talked about marketing, you talked about finance. 
can you talk a little bit about systems now? So when you started, it was pretty much you and being helped by family, yes. but now it's a full-fledged business. I think for me, it is always been about creating structure, discipline, and good governance and good principles and systems in the business. But that also fundamentally comes to having the right people. So for me, every single person who works at Chaiwali has a very unique skill set. And yes, they have their day-to-day tasks, but I also draw on their skills as well. So if they have a niche of any of their own that they want to bring. So they might be doing packaging, but they also have design skills. They might be doing product development, but they also have marketing skills. So it's about creating systems where my team feels like that they are giving back to the business in using their unique skills as well. But it's also creating systems of forecasting and reporting and being innovative and being creative and producing new blends and new things that we do. So for me, uh, it's very important to have a good structure around when you do what. You have to also not be so rigid and be adaptive to any changes in the environment, in the business environment, in the consumer buying habits as well. Right. So how does a day in work looks like for Upma or maybe a week looks like for you? So how do you really prioritize your day or your week or your month? Do you have any structure that you follow? A little bit, but I, and this is something who anyone listening who does want to get into the realm of a business or entrepreneurship, I wake, like, I wake up thinking of work and I go to sleep thinking of work. <laughs> that's the reality of it. And that's the reality that you will have to realize <laughs> what it would be like. There's no switching off and all that stuff. The sw- even on the weekends, it will be, okay, have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done that? So it's always making sure that there is no fires to fight. And if there's going to be a fire, making sure the fire blanket is ready to be put on the fire. So it's constantly being on top of it. I guess in t- going back to your question about structure and what I do my day to day, I try to create monthly plan for myself. In turn, and I first create an annual plan, then I break that down. And then I break that down and I break that down and I re and I go back to my weekly plan a lot about what I, what the week will look like for me, but there's never been a week in my life where I have stuck to that plan ever because things happen, people happen, things happen, things change, orders come in, orders don't come in, people are sick or whatnot, things never go to plan. But I have that basic idea of these are the things I want to do. And I did hear in a recent um, time management podcast on ABC, forgot the name of the guy. He always has a list of things he has to do. But he wrote three main things that he has to do today. If he doesn't do anything, he has to do these three things. Because realistically, we can only achieve, he said, three projects in a day. And I found that to be true from what I write down. I write down a hundred things on my list to do today, but I will realistically only get done three of the big things. No, I completely agree with it. I, in fact, uh, write two things. I write what's the number one thing I have to achieve. And then below that, what are the other things? So that way kind of, I'm like focused on one and then do do the rest. Yeah, so exactly. That, I that think, think that's really important. And for me, nature is very important to be in nature to exercise has been my main thing to like allow me to be a good decision maker and to have clarity. Things of the endorphins, the release of that energy is really important. So everyone is very unique. No, no structure that is yours or mine will be good for Lisa or Amrit. Like everyone is different. Com- com- and you can agree. read a billion how this CEO lives their life, wakes up at four in the morning, eats a banana and goes on a 10 kilometer run and, you know, but every, you can try to do that, but you, you will have your own unique routine and your own unique personality and values and form of mindfulness. Mindfulness can be drinking a cup of tea and watching the steam. That's something I do. Uh, mindfulness can be painting, drawing, sketching, sitting in bed, anything, you have to create that on your, you can draw inspiration from you and me and whoever, but you have to create that yourself. No, thanks for that. I deliberately brought that uh, in the conversation because uh, 
it's not all about hustle and hushers. It's always about uh, being in control uh, mentally, emotionally, and then only we can function at this uh, st- speed. Otherwise, not 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 going to be possible. No. So, are you able to um, differentiate between working on the business and working in the in business? The- Meaning. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. Yeah, of course I know what you mean. And there will always be times that I will have to dr- go into the business because of the day-to-day aspect of running a business. Although I would love in an ideal world to just be working on the business, ideally. <laughs> That's just the, not the reality of it because it's a small business and yeah. because my team needs me and because um, things happen and I need to go back in and you know what? I actually enjoy that. I actually enjoy going like into that, the yeah. business. I like to do, because if you don't time to time go into the business, how are you meant to lead and understand what those people are doing on a day-to-day basis as well? No, that so if makes you're sense. not doing that and going into it, how can you manage them appropriately and understand any um, regressions in work or understand any slow movements in time or work or, or any habits that come through? Like how are you meant to understand that if you don't, go in as well true true see i'm very keen to get into a little bit of knowing about the different flavors and uh, mixes you know but before that i have quick two questions on the business side of it one what's the biggest challenge in your business at this point in time that keeps you awake at the moment i'm sleeping pretty well so that's good (laughs) so let's try to keep it that way please (laughs) i don't want to go back to to not sleeping (laughs) So I think that's a difficult one. And when people ask me that, I don't see things as challenges because I see things as an opportunity to grow and an opportunity for problem solving. I, I think the only challenge a lot of the time can probably come with yourself and your own um, view of yourself and your own expectations. But at the moment, currently where I am, I, there, there are probably challenges, but I don't see them. It's, okay. it's how do I go through it and how do I grow? Makes sense. Makes sense. In terms of your aspiration, this is the last business question and I would, then I would uh, talk Phew, about it. Because my brain is <laughs> very soon, Asan. <laughs> this is the last business question and you would probably like this question. Uh, what's your... What if vi- I don't? No, no, no. What's the vision for your business? What aspirations you have? You know, how do you see this business next two, three, four, five, whatever you have thought through it's to do what i'm doing but do it better it's to do what i'm doing currently and to do it even in a in a larger way i don't want to change our why i don't want to change our purpose i don't want to change our fundamental values of what we do but i just want to be able to do it on a bigger scale and i want to be able to grow it and i want to be able to create a good business that's healthy, that's sustainable, that also is healthy for the people in my team, that has a strong um, relationship with our suppliers, with our clients, with our customers. And I want people to know our values by knowing the name Chaiwali. I want them to think of Chaiwali and know our values by that. And my aspirations for Chaiwali are for it to just happily grow and for it to nurture its people, for people to be mentally happy in the business for me to be mentally happy and to sustain that mental health because it's something very important that we don't talk about very much especially in a small business it's so important to come together in a small business as a family that you work in it and produce good quality work happily sustainably and in a healthy way no i wish that was the thinking in large organizations also i mean people are people you work in a small organization a small business or large organization end of the day we have the same mind and same emotions everything for me everything starts and ends with our with the people for me everything starts and ends with our uh, interactions with people and because if the people are happy the customers will ultimately be happy as well absolutely absolutely i worked for an hour i want to learn a little bit about uh, your uh, passion for tea I have come to your warehouse and I have seen quite a variety of it. And one stuck in my mind is sticky tea. Where, where did that come from? You know, so it is you... not a traditional cha. It is yeah. a westernized version of what masala cha is. It is something that we created because of 
request from the service industry. So it from is the, uh, from the cafes. Yeah. So it's not a, like a proper masala chai. You don't brew it on the stove, but it's created um, specifically for a pre-sweetened with honey masala chai. That's sticky. So it's for use um, to create a, a chai latte, which they drink in cafes, or you can make it at home. But it's a different, it's more of a westernized masala chai. No Indian also would know there was something like yeah. that. <laughs> I know. And for us, in we create things, I guess, it's to be very authentic, but we also like to innovate and we also like to create recipes which are different and which are unique and that can be used by different people from different backgrounds as well. Anything you are doing right now in that area which you are excited about to share with us? Yeah, I'm trying to create like an Australian native blend, but it's very difficult. The Australian, I'm finding, I'm very, very highly, I guess, alert with ingredients and my intuition with creating spice blends is I can pick spices and blends and herbs and very well, and I can balance them really well on a, on a scientific level. I use a lot of um, different science kind of, but when I, when I make blends and and I use Ayurveda in terms of vata, pitta, kapha and the elements in those spices. And I create pie graphs and all this stuff I, that goes into formulating blends. Seriously, you go that de detail. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Engineer, engineering, like. Yeah. Oh my God. Good, I'm, good an, I'm an engineer's daughter. So. <laughs> no, I'm happy you shared that. Otherwise, people might think, as you were saying, oh, I can put this together and create a No, home. and that's... I, I'm very honest with that. And when people come to my workshops I, and they come to um, talk to me about my blends, they think that I've just put flavors together. I don't just, I, I, yeah, I put flavors together at home and all the stuff for myself. But when I'm formulating things, a lot of science, a lot of research and a lot of depth goes into it to create a perfect balance. And each blend has a purpose. So when you go shopping on our website, each blend is for a different, like the golden chai is, um, a pita, so it's a fire. It's a fire blend. It's for people who want more exhilaration in their masala chai, and they want more of the pita energy in their blend. Right, They're really informative, and uh, it opened up my brain as well because even I was thinking, like, how do you just mix it together, and what's big deal about it, and things like no, that. No, I, so I always have a purpose. Like, I think that's just. The kind of person I am, every decision I make or any project or anything I do has to have a purpose. I can't just do it for no reason of doing it. Um, so every blend I have or formulate has to have a purpose. Like I want to create an Australian native blend. The purpose of it will be to bring two cultures together. And so when you drink it, you it tastes like a spice desert, an Australian desert with spices in it. But awesome. it's very difficult to create that because the Australian natives are very different to the Indian spices. So it's for the formula of that isn't going to and i've created four or five varieties of it but it was putting spices together but i'm not happy with it and i will never release a product that i'm not happy with makes sense so what's your uh, top three blends 11 for me or for consumers first you <laughs> uh so my first is it's the classic masala cha Which we is... have we don't sell it. <laughs> we don't sell it. <laughs> Why don't you sell it? <laughs> I, think, I think only yesterday, Jake and my team put it on the website. But it is literally sauve and alachi, which is uh, fennel seeds and cardamom and black tea. Black but tea. that's it. That's my favorite blend. And I like to put some fresh ginger in it. Uh, and that is the classic masala cha. It's a classic blend from Punjab that is my favorite blend. And we have it on our website now, I think as of yesterday, but we use a very, very good quality black tea that's organic and fair trade. And it's amazing. The second blend I think is the 11 spice chai. It's amazing. I, my grandfather's I, blend, best blend in the world. I, Love it. I heard it. I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> and third will be the golden chai, which is uh, the karak, karak masala chai. It's a strong, strong masala chai. That I like in winter. Golden is with uh, oh, turmeric. turmeric and some other spices. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that too as well. Okay, so out of three, the first one you said we already had at home in different yeah. uh, forms. The second and third I already had. Fantastic. And what's the, from the customer's perspective, what's the fastest or most selling uh, blend? 11 spice, 11 sticky, spice. golden, 
City yeah. Golden because of the cafes. Cafes and also it's actually it's very nice. It has a beautiful honey that we source from my neighbor from our other warehouse who is a beekeeper and I help him harvest the honey. So it's so local that it's our neighbor 50 meters away. Interesting. So we I we wear the bee suit, we harvest the honey with them and it's the most spectacular honey I've ever had. It's called Summer Hill honey. We also sell the honey as well, but I'm so proud for that of that relationship. It's so local and I'm so happy to support small business. And as as I said Asan like for me every relationship comes with integrity. The more I grow, the more I have the ability to help you grow too. That's awesome. That's the philosophy I use. Tell me about your warehouse and your Friday program where you invite people to come and taste tea and <laughs> at the at the moment it's on hold just because of the restrictions in Sydney. But usually every Friday we'll do a chai pop up bar at the warehouse and people can come and buy chai. Talk to Georgina and the team who currently manages our chai bar and buy some blends. They can even come with their jars and get their jars filled as well of chai to reduce waste. That's incredible. That's awesome. See, in every entrepreneur I interview, I do ask them uh, their influences and support um, that they got through the journey. If I had to ask the same question, uh, what would be your influences and support in last seven years of running your business? I think for me, my biggest inspiration, first and foremostly, is my grandfather, and. not just because he was an ayurvedic doctor but also because he created so much from nothing he created with his own ability um a beautiful ayurvedic um and homeopathic business and he helped a lot of people as well he was a a women's equality he was an activist so he helped to educate women in his village to bring their education up to teach them to read and write he always challenged the social norm he always allowed his daughters to sit on the same pillar as his sons and he allowed them he gave them not allowed them gave them the opportunity to become whoever they wanted to become doctor psychologist whatever they wanted to be and i think that his philosophy of progressiveness back in those days is like no other to see his writing he does he used to write a lot of poems and he would just write philosophies of the the war the separation that happened back in india back in those days and how he was completely against it and how much it hurt him and that is my inspiration in terms of leading he was leading by example and i draw on that and i also love to lead by example as well that's fantastic any any other support during this journey where uh, you're feeling stuck and you had to move to the next level and you got support community i think that um i have never i've never had a mentor like i've never had a one like mentor to go to but i will say that i have had amazing people in my life that have come and gone or friends and family that i can call on and tell them my problem and get that support and i also have give that to other people so i have people that call me to just talk about something and i will for example at this morning i i've got a lovely lady who runs a business called hello friends she's based in melbourne and it's a vegan che- it's a vegan cheese business and we talk every month for one hour on zoom or call whatever it can be about whatever but we talk every month and in that talk we discuss our challenges we discuss our business issues we discuss anything that we're doing and we share information and we collaborate so it's a way of mentorship in a different way we're supporting each other through each other's business journey and that network is vital for every entrepreneur you because reckon? it's a lonely journey and you yeah, know this yeah, esan yeah. it's a very lonely journey yeah. so i don't know if i'm pitching putting the right picture up for everyone but no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see the fact that you are laughing the fact that you are enjoying uh, speaks for itself but if somebody expects it to be a cake walk and you know, that's no. not the case talia but you the fact to that, be a strong person <laughs> yeah. so it it builds your character along the way but end of the day if that makes you happy then that's that's the best way to do it the last thing is how can people uh, connect with you and we are done with that 
Um, they can. It depends on what they're connecting with us for. The one is where they can find you. So of course, I'll share your uh, website and. Uh, you can connect uh, with me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Instagram. You can Instagram. connect with Chaiwali's website. You can order our blends on our website. And finally, I want to appreciate, acknowledge, and thank you for coming on this uh, conversation. Thank we you. planned for a much shorter conversation, but it just went I in. I know. And. Uh, and I really appreciate your humbleness and uh, the vulnerability that you showed. You talked about things that people typically don't really go uh, in uh, sharing. And that's really important. That's where the uh, real picture of uh, what happens in the background comes out. And uh, I know the kind of uh, recognition you have with all these things, you maintain your humbleness. And I, I really like that. Thank you very much for coming Thank on this. Thank you, Hassan. Uh, I, think that's, I think it's very important to understand that awards and all that stuff, it, you still have to maintain your purpose and your why and your mission. And you can't get too swayed by that. And so although I'm so grateful and honored to achieve and get these amazing awards, I always make sure that the integrity of what I do remains the same. And I uh, look forward to your next stage of growth and uh, hopefully we'll come back on this stage again. Thank you, Asan. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Experts podcast with your host, Asan Ali. Hope you enjoyed the story and learned a few things about building a business, marketing, culture, values, and of course, tea. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, laughed a lot, and my key learnings were around uh, supplier selection, uh, marketing, how she creates her tea blends, and value of giving back. Let me know what were your key takeaways and do not hesitate to reach out to me if you are keen to explore new opportunities. I may be able to assist myself or connect you with someone who has already gone the path you want to take.